This episode contains spoilers for 1988's Bang About Classic Cocktail <laughs> and some strong language. So we're going to talk a lot about that movie and we will have some very choice words for it. But if you're interested in uh, hearing us rip some stuff to shreds all while drinking some very brightly colored red eyes, please enjoy the show. Coughlin's Law number 666. <laughs> um, one must always have an alcoholic beverage when watching the film Cocktail, 1988's <laughs> Cocktail. Uh, a good way I like to remember this is with a little poem. Um, when crews impregnate shoe, the booze should stick to you like glue. That's uh, pretty good. Did you just come up with that? Yeah. Nice. Yeah. I mean, actually, I came up with it while we were watching the movie oh. because eventually your mind has to kind of do its own thing in order to like not die of losing too many brain cells. Well, I think it's really good because it, it incorporates um, some major plot points, the main actors, and also the fact that the movie has a lot of random poems. Yeah. poems in well, it quote and <laughs> also uh drinking you know because this movie is about bartenders and or is it i'm not sure um but <laughs> <laughs> i uh i appreciate your poetry session thank you thanks i i you know shout out to the great um mike flanagan you mean brian brian flanagan, flanagan. <laughs> not mike flanagan mike flanagan great great director um of horror films brian flanagan <laughs> no i don't even have like a good uh compliment for the guy nope <laughs> hi everyone uh that is all to say that this is movie mixology and we are your hosts i'm pat don't you mean uncle pat no. <laughs> <laughs> oh fuck kidding yes. you are you are nothing like the character uncle pat in this Yet. movie but <laughs> uh, <laughs> Um, yeah, I'm Uncle Pat. And, and I'm Marissa. We're your hosts. This is Movie Mixology, the podcast for amateur bartenders and film lovers alike, where every week we take a film and then a drink from or inspired by said film, and we enjoy, well, try to enjoy both <laughs> very, very greatly. Uh, this week, I was really excited leading into it because this was one of the movies that gave us the inspiration for this show. Uh, it's 1988's Cocktail, um, directed by... Sorry, it's directed by Roger Donaldson. Roger Donaldson, uh, the, the eminable Roger Donaldson, and uh, written well, let's by... Let's see, what else has he done? He's also done Species, No Way Out, and The World's Fastest Indian. Yeah, so the eminable Robert Donaldson, written by none other than... Hayward Gold. Yeah. And if those names don't sound familiar to you, it's because they He worked on the be. 1985 The Equalizer, The Boys from Brazil, One Good Cop. 
little better than our boy uh, Donaldson, but you know what? It's okay because this movie is completely carried by its two stars, um, Tom Cruise, Elizabeth Shue, and um, gosh, I've Brian Brown. Brian Brown. I knew it was something Brown. Three stars. Yeah. Oh, good old Brian Brown. Who? I mean, honestly, I think he's really trying in this movie, but whether or not that is a high bar. Yeah, <laughs> we'll everybody. That's the thing. Everybody's trying in this movie. Even the movie is trying to make certain points, but it all comes crashing down when it ends up being a soap opera rather than a message about the evils of greed. Right. Exactly. We're we're gonna get into that. Don't worry. Um, <laughs> real quick though, let's touch on the drink that we are having. Uh, like you know, I'll put enjoying in quotes <laughs> because it's a weird one. Uh, at least compared to everything else that we've had on the show thus far. Uh, the drink, of course, is the red eye, which Cruz uh, interacts with a few times in this film um, when he goes up uh, to his partner, Coughlin, and Coughlin makes this drink when Cruz first goes into his TGI Fridays uh, that he's bartending at, and you know Cruz is interested in a job to get through school, and... Uh, he's like, you know, you know how to make a red eye? Cruz is like, nope. And he's like, well, uh, are you a quick study? And he's like, yep, cool, you're hired. Because that's all it took, I guess, when you see a help wanted sign. You know, there's no formal interview process, even though you don't own TGI Fridays. You, you know, you can totally hire whoever you want if you're the head bartender. Mm-hmm. You know, it's 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 cool. And that's totally fine. I I'm not even sure what the actual bartending uh, hiring process is like today in 2021. If we have bartender friends in the audience, please write into the show at MomixPod on Instagram, Facebook, or MomixPod at gmail.com. Either way, that's what uh, the scene is, and we are enjoying it right now. So the the recipe that he uses is interesting, (laughs) to say the least. So he starts off by pouring an entire, what looks to be an entire bottle, even though I don't think that's accurate because, uh, you know, you need a, a huge, much larger glass than what uh, Brown pulls out, right? Uh, the, he pulls out a champagne of beers, Miller High Life bottle, and then inverts it and pours it into this glass until it overflows, tops it with tomato juice, adds what appears to be uh, Tabasco sauce to it, almost like a Bloody Mary type of spicy drink. Okay, but rather than garnish it with celery, my man does one better. Cracks a fresh egg, whole, raw, dumps it into the drink, and then just drinks that thing like it's a protein shake. And that's, you know, his breakfast. And then later in the show, it reappears uh, as a great hangover cure. Yeah, it's the rocky... Hangover. <laughs> um, yeah, it's uh, it's fascinating uh, for sure. Uh, of course, we don't recommend that you guys consume raw eggs. Um, yeah, but uh, or aspirin. <laughs> he looks like he puts two raw aspirins in there, and uh, I don't recommend you do that either. We're enjoying this just fine without. Although I do have egg in mine. Yeah, Patrick did put one in his, and so his is a little bit more interesting than mine. I just did the tomato juice, Tabasco, I, I, and I added re- and beer. The, the, yeah, Marissa did like the the safer version <laughs> <laughs> with the tomato sauce, 
Tabasco and beer, and that one tastes just fine, I guess, if you want like a spicy Bloody Mary-esque drink. It tastes a lot like a Bloody Mary. I think the beer part of it is kind of weird, but... (laughs) Due to the similarity to the Bloody Mary, though, I just decided, you know, this is our show, we can do what we want. Uh, I went ahead and added a little bit of vodka to mine, and that with the tomato juice and the yellow beer and the yellow egg, it's... I don't know how to describe it. It looks now more like a pink eye. Kind of like what, when we were in college and we had those drinks, the trash can. Just <laughs> <laughs> put all this shit in there. No, we recommend that, you know, of course, um, you guys be safe and all that. But this um, drink is funny because he puts so many different things in it. And then in the movie, you know, it just it looks so gross. <laughs> it, it does not look as appetizing, especially when you consider uh, the environments that he's doing it in, right? Like there's... The bar in the middle of the day, right before, you know, bar opens and starts the shift. So, you know that, like, he's he's got this, like, mentality of, like, yep, better get drunk for my job of, you know, serving alcohol to people. I'm sure that probably still happens to some degree, and that's totally fine if people drink in moderation. But I think that Coughlin's character is kind of presented as, like, I really give two shits about this job. Mm-hmm. I just do it because I really enjoy bartending. Uh, and, you know, I fancy myself a bit of a philosopher, which we later <laughs> find out. Uh, and the other time... I he, think he just likes banging the waitresses. That that for sure. <laughs> for sure. He even says, wait till you give him herpes. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I think it's crap. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and uh, uh, the other time he drinks it in Cruz's apartment after they've been drinking all night. I mean, this the dingy, like, New York apartment that's like kind of small and, and old and worn down. Um, these two guys just like starting their day with uh, leftover pizza and and uh, a red eye. I mean, yeah. who among us, and, right? And it's, it's the same dingy apartment that Tom Cruise returns to three or four years later after he's moved to Jamaica and then moved back to New York and somehow gets the exact same apartment. But Yeah, maybe they just held it for him. Yeah, I'm sure. <laughs> Landlords in New York, I'm sure, would do that for just anybody. Yeah. Um, but like you said, I think that the um, eating cold pizza or microwave pizza with some kind of oven pain, oven pizza oven pizza oh. that's a life hack. Yeah. Yo, if you've never tried that reheating pizza in the oven as opposed to the microwave, you're missing out. Yeah, it's it's a lot crispier, huh? A lot better, a lot better, especially if you're doing if you're going deep dish reheat. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So we don't recommend you make this drink because it tastes bad, but we do recommend that you uh, heat reheat your pizza and. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, welcome to pizza mixology. Yeah, uh, I'm just kidding. Um, but it's it was fun to make it though because yeah, I like the I I don't think it tastes completely horrible. I mean, you're right; it does taste kind of like the. Bloody Mary. And I love tomatoes, so the tomato juice thing I'm a fan of. Mm. I'm just not sure how I feel about mixing it with beer. (laughs) I'll just take the tomato juice and uh, hot sauce. If you're not sure how you feel about this drink, I do hope then that you know how you feel about this film and have at least three things (laughs) to talk about. This is my favorite movie. (laughs) Jesus. Uh, Right next to The Dark Knight, right below Heat, we have... (laughs) (laughs) I think we just got canceled. Oh, God. Um, yeah, so let's get to why this is my favorite. I know, I'm, I am joking. Please know that I'm joking. This is a terrible movie, but um, I am going to uh, 
try to draw as much out of it as I possibly can. Because that's sometimes the best thing about bad movies is you can have a lot of fun rewatching them and thinking about why they're so bad. So certainly let's uh, do that in triple shot. It's time for triple shot. All right. So now we're going to talk about our favorite um, or non-favorite or just three things that we want to talk about about this movie am i going first this time uh i think yes i guess it doesn't really matter each time if we switch off or I've not kind of we're each gonna track. get in three things so yeah. yeah it's okay i'll just go look, okay yeah look you can dare me to go first and i'll go first because when a guy lays down a dare you gotta <laughs> take it oh my gosh <laughs> um <laughs> <laughs> One yeah, the, that is um, one of the messages the of the best movie. line probably in this movie because um, it's so stupid. I don't think you understand. Like when a guy lays down a dare, <laughs> you have to take it. Fellas, where you at? Yeah, you you just have to. I mean, even if it upends everybody's life. Um, so right. <laughs> uh, this is such. Yeah, it's like such a a bro move. Okay, all right, I'm getting off track. So. Where do I even start? Okay. Um, I guess I'll start big picture and then we can get narrow, narrow from there. Okay. So and my, I'll do the opposite. <laughs> I'll start very, very specific and then get very trouble. Okay. Broad. My first big point about this. Okay. So this movie is obviously trying to be about the dangers of greed. I mean, a lot of good 80s movies kind of have this message because in the 80s, you did have a lot of that get rich quick kind of mentality where a lot of people thought that they could just get rich quick if they just read enough books about getting rich quick. <laughs> and uh, in this movie, even our main character, Brian Flanagan, he's reading all of these books, um, trying all these things to get rich quick. He's obsessed with the idea of owning his own successful business right out of the bat as a young guy. And that's like his driving force. And he's willing to do anything and um also he you know really kind of looks up to doug coughlin as like an older mentor to him um and even though and he's willing to do things to sort of boost his ego and boost doug's impression of him even if it make is bad for brian's own life and you know so a lot of this story kind of shows how all of the negative consequences that can come from the mentality of being so obsessed with money and that being your only driving force in life and then that kind of go, go, go mentality without taking a step back and looking at everything that you're doing, you know, and just kind of trying to work hard, party hard. I don't know. Um, and, and that could be a good movie, like showing how that affects people. But this, well, they made that movie. It's called Wall Street. Yeah, exactly. Um, but this movie completely messes that up by going for that tone throughout. But then at the end of the movie, make turning it into a soap opera and then also making it so our main character, who is completely shitty guy, Brian Flanagan, becomes like has a happy ending, you know? And it kind of takes away from all of the serious messages that they were trying to posit earlier in the movie about the dangers of this kind of mindset. And rather than showing us a real character examination and 
something that could be interesting, it all falls apart. And, you know, I will say, like, I think that they were trying to go for um, a serious message with Doug Coughlin. Spoil- I'm going to give out a spoiler now. Um committing suicide and losing his life that's a very tragic and sad message and sad occurrence in the movie but i think that when they show it in this movie which this movie is so silly throughout and just such so soap opera-y you know it it takes away from the message like it could have been a very serious and a very stark moment in the movie and it could have had a big impact on audiences but i think that it was sort of wrong of them to stick that into the middle of an otherwise completely trashy movie, you know? And um, I'll just say one more thing. I think that overall, you know, when you put all of those together, it's like this movie, I think, does try some ways to be serious and to have those messages about these young people and the generation above them trying to succeed in this uber, like, you know, go get rich mindset and struggling with that, but ultimately it fails that objective and just leaves you feeling like this is completely silly, especially because they treat, you know, the women characters in this movie terribly. The main characters suck and are terrible. It's just (laughs) terrible. And then, but at the very end, you know, what do we get? We get Brian Flanagan, a big asshole, having a happy ending. Um, And I just don't think that's a great message. Not at all. Uh, it's one of the things that's worst, aged the worst, excuse me, um, especially in regards to um, how the tone of this movie being inconsistent. Yeah. Definitely, like, because that's kind of the main takeaway I got from all that. And That's the uh, word. I think that's a great word to sum it up. Yeah. The, but the tone of the movie doesn't have any necessarily thing to do with the message, um, except... When it's so startlingly not consistent and all over the place, the movie hops around from, you know, like kind of dramedy, reality bite style slice of life at the beginning to like just full on comedy in some points in act one to romantic comedy-esque to just full on soap opera drama, you know, with some shades of crime drama in there, like at the very end. Uh, and then ending kind of like a comedy. It or it is so, and that doesn't even begin. I feel like there's probably a few other tropes in there that I'm just not even hitting on. But it's so starting startlingly inconsistent that you end up thinking, okay, so what is the message of this movie? Am I just supposed to take this movie at face value? Does it even have a message? Am I just supposed to like you know be charmed by Tom Cruise and Elizabeth Shue? And if so, then. Like, if there's no underlying message, right, then you kind of just have to be like, oh, well, then I'm just going to take the things that are happening on screen and try to enjoy them. But the thing is, those things happening on screen have aged terribly, Yeah, have aged so horribly. Like, you can take an old movie that has, like, an incredible message and probably overlook things that, you know, were of the time and have not aged well because, you know, thankfully, we've evolved since then. At the time, we didn't. But if the movie still has a good message... They tend to look past that and still appreciate it as a different work of art, right? This is like the exact opposite of that situation, though. This is like, this is so bad, you you try to pry a message from it and you're just going to like realize, oh yeah, exactly like you said, these characters are atrocious, right? Just 
not redeemable at all, not likable by the end. The only thing that you can even try to pull from the corpse of the movie is that Cruz is like a full superpower. Like, just I can hold this movie on the strength of my own star power. Mm-hmm. And like that, yeah, I guess is cool, but I'd argue that he does that way better in way nicer way like more prestigious and well uh directed written acted shot films and i'd argue you know i'd argue cruz is powerful even today in terms of being like one of the last true tried and true movie stars Mm -hmm. that can get anything made that he wants and people will go see a movie just because he's in it um and let me tell you i would trade this movie for like a million other things like i would trade this for a few good men too even though that doesn't make any sense like that's how that's how desperate for this to not be in his filmography i am because i think it's just kind of a it's kind of a stain on it to be honest with you yeah i think it is a stain and um i think though like you said it shows kind of the star power that he has that this movie could still be a big kind of move a big movie and have um the i don't don't even know if it really has a legacy but it is kind of like a blockbuster movie i think it's a way it's it's been on every like bartender like drink related Mm -hmm. movie it does have a weird legacy almost not quite cult status i don't think but like definitely like it if you are of a certain demographic you you want to watch this movie which is to me, like not 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 great, mm-hmm. and the fact that this movie was a hit also has not like aged well. Also, fun fact: um, Touchstone Pictures uh, made this film, and Touchstone was owned by Disney. So no wonder the women are treated badly. Yeah, <laughs> Disney didn't start making compelling female characters until modern times, right? Yeah. Um, but yeah, that is. Um, not surprising. <laughs> That's funny, though. Um, okay, so what is your second shot? First shot. First shot. Yeah. yeah. And my first shot is, jeez, uh, trying to jip me out of a shot there. <laughs> what is your third shot? <laughs> <laughs> uh, my first one is way more micro than the big topic shit we just discussed. It is in regards to uh, my namesake for this episode, <laughs> Uncle Pat. Um <laughs> Uh, so at the beginning of the film, Cruz um, is getting out of the army uh, or the military. I'm, I'm not sure it has established which branch, um, but he's definitely getting out of the armed forces, moves to New York and meets his uncle, Pat, who owns a bar somewhere in New York City, I believe Queens. And, um, you know, he like basically asks him for advice on how to get started and run his own business. His his desire would be to run a business like his Uncle Pat. I think his Uncle Pat is kind of a, a effed up role model for him. Uh, let me just say a few things about this whole setup, right? First off, if you look closely, everything you need to know about Uncle Pat as like a character is in the like surrounding bar, right? <laughs> He's got a bunch of like New York like Mets and Knicks and all these like themed New York sports teams um, should tell you what you need to know. 
the fact that none of those teams have been very successful in professional sport should kind of tell you that this guy probably doesn't really know much about success. I don't know if that was intentional foreshadowing. Um, <laughs> maybe he's just loyal. Maybe he's just loyal. Maybe he's a homer. But uh, okay, so then you got that. On the TV, he's watching college football. And uh, I couldn't help but notice that one of the scores that popped up on the screen was number 13th ranked Arizona State is losing to uh, Washington, University of Washington, 27 to 14. And wow, let me just say, I took offense to that. <laughs> I took that so personally. ASU is our alma mater and full disclosure, they've been ranked like one time since uh, we attended there and, uh, uh, or at least they've been in the top 10 or top 15, like one time. So to see them that rank that high and still losing to fucking Washington, I mean, come on, you should know better than to go into uncle's Pat's place. If that, that's like an omen. You just right? go in there, you walk right out. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. But Cruz doesn't. Instead, he goes up to him, <laughs> ask him for advice on how to manage a bar, how to manage uh, money. And Uncle Pat gives uh, little tokens of wisdom, such as make damn sure you're the smartest guy in the room whenever the subject of money comes up, right? <laughs> Which is like a Very older, circular. Yeah, it's a very roundabout way of saying you should probably go to college or at least get an education at a local college to like know how to manage money. Uh, if you want to get rich quick, right? And also, you know, never give out things for free. Never do like, basically be a self-centered asshole is kind of Uncle Pat's advice. And mm -hmm. I think that's funny because it's a terrible way for Cruz to like start his adventure in New York for Brian Flanagan to start his, his new life chapter here because he goes and he just rips off this interview of like bullshit being like... Like bullshit interview after bullshit interview, lying about like what he could do and just kind of trying to like basically have no credentials, go into like a Wall Street or Madison Avenue job and be like, yeah, no, I'm, I'm great. I'm a great team player. Like I, I really want to learn. And like in a very real sense that like a lot of people can relate to, he gets turned down because he just doesn't have credentials that they mm -hmm. want. You know, I, it's even tougher in some ways today, I think, because even with some credentials, people want more credentials. And like, that's a very relatable part. But what's not relatable and what really stuck out to me is like, oh, okay, I see what the movie I think is going for with trying to like have like a serious thing is that all this terribleness is rooted with Cruz's role models and like his upbringing and like who's showing him the way, so to speak. It does not deliver on that like whatsoever. In fact, it completely reverts on that with him like, you know, asking Uncle Pat for advice at the end and like his uncle being like, yeah, you could just leave, you know, you could just be a dirtbag and yeah. like, no big deal. No, no skin <laughs> off your Just leave bone. the woman you got pregnant. No big yeah, deal. Yeah, no big deal. At this point, who cares, right? And then, psh, okay. It's only because Cruz uncharacteristically uh, does not do what his character has been being set up to do and listen to his uncle that he has a quote-unquote happy ending. So everything about Uncle Pat just kind of sucks. He gives a bad name to Pats, and <laughs> I've said my piece. Yeah. No, I, I uh, couldn't agree more. I think that he... It's a weird character because I remember at the beginning when he was giving Cruz that advice, Cruz said... Well, keep calling him Cruz. 
Brian Flanagan said something like, well, Uncle Pat, that doesn't sound very fun. And Uncle Pat's like, well, you can't have fun in business or whatever. He's (laughs) like, if you want fun, go play on the beach or whatever. And you kind of get the impression that... You want fun? Be in Top Gun. Yeah. You kind of get the impression that Brian... Brian doesn't want... I was trying to do the Top Gun theme, but I did it too fast. So you didn't even catch it. Yeah, I don't even... It's fine. It's fine. Whatever. Uh, Brian, what was I going to say? It seems like at the beginning, Brian's really not, he's kind of going to disregard his uncle Pat's advice and forge his own path. But ultimately, like you said, he does kind of what uncle Pat does in, in, in being like a skeezy person and a, uh, someone who's just out for himself and he follows that path and he, and you realize, yeah, uncle Pat is a role model for him. Like you said, he goes back to uncle Pat he goes to Coughlin somewhat too as a role model. And then what does Brian get at the end instead of, you know, us seeing that everything has sucked, instead he gets a happy ending. Like you said, it just doesn't make any sense. <sighs> but yeah, I think uh, for my second shot, I kind of want to talk a little bit about, I, I want to talk a little bit more about, I guess, Brian's character and how you know, at the end, like you said, he's kind of coming around and and um, he wants to talk to Jordan, who's the girl that he cheated on and got pregnant. <laughs> Just it's a horrible story. But he wants to try to win her back, I guess. He's realized the error of his ways. But instead of, you know, like being remorseful and you know, kind of having a conscious, he just gets mad, you he's know. so hostile. And he says, like, something like, oh, well, I'm just going to walk away and I guess you'll never know what I'm really like or something. Instead of, you know, really showing that he cares for Jordan and saying, you know what, I want to help pay for our child. I understand that you don't want to see me or you're mad at me and so you don't ever have to see me, but I want to help. Like Instead of that, if he truly cared for her and was being remorseful, he just is still this cocky asshole guy who's like, I'm walking out of your apartment now. I'm going to rip up your dad's check and you'll just never know how great I am. And then at the end, he comes back. He literally like fights the butler and stuff. Oh my God. Um, Yeah. And the doorman yeah that scene is terrible too because all these guys are like pushing around jordan mooney who's a pregnant woman and so then you know he pushes him into that weird samurai so then brian kind of responds by pushing one of them which i guess is is warranted i don't know i'd have to rewatch the scene of all who's pushing who because it just happens so fast you don't really know what's going on but i was most offended that all these men were pushing jordan around but um it's just a weird like fight sequence and all that stuff like you know we talked about earlier it's very soap opera-y and Brian as a character um is just such a weird guy like it just his character doesn't make any sense like it, it it's like at the beginning it, his character kind of makes sense oh he's this young guy who wants to make it successful he's big-eyed dreamy-eyed or whatever the expression is and he's kind of endearing in that way and he he kind of wants to make it big. but then just that devolve because they even show him sticking up for one of his classmates that older mom that he had in class yeah yeah she wanted to be the donald trump of cookie <laughs> store <laughs> yeah that bit was good that's you know? another thing that's that was, aged terribly yeah well they wanted to i think the bit the bit about him 
you know, tr- sticking up for her in class is, you know, trying to show you that he's like this kind yeah. of, he has feelings. If for you've people. never seen cocktail real quick, that scene is like the, this cartoonishly evil, like finance professor or whatever at this mm-hmm. New York college being like, uh, you're getting an F you get yeah. an F like literally that like he just, his voice is like just so smarmy and gross and nasally. Cause this my, is like so just cartoonishly evil for a somewhat serious topic of movie, and he's just making fun of all these students, uh, including Cruz. And Cruz is like, like a fu- like I don't, I could I just picture him like in a fucking high school with like a leather jacket <laughs> and sunglasses saying this, but he's like sounds like a lot of talk from a guy who can't hack it in the real world. <laughs> You know, like that's almost exactly what he says. Yeah, and the professor just burn. Looked, yeah. <laughs> Like the professor looks like, oh, oh, let's see, you get an F. Just yeah. like, yo, okay. So back in the 80s, apparently you could fail somebody just for them mouthing off to you. Real cool. Yeah, I'd say that's that's just aged terribly. This is further proof that the 80s weren't all that great. Yeah, I agree that that scene has aged terribly. I just specifically talking about where he sticks up for the lady. Yeah. I think that that is like it adds to one his of the only the good beginning. scenes because it's like showing you he's a good guy. But then they completely take that away. You know, it'd be one thing if in the middle of the movie he made some transgressions because they're showing how he's kind of gotten, he, he's gotten away from his innocent roots or his good roots. And then he kind of had to, you know, deal with those transgressions and he had to grow up and mature but that that character arc didn't happen either it was like he seemed kind of nice then he did these transgressions so you're like this guy's an asshole and then he became a bigger asshole by being like doesn't matter i'm just great you know jordan you're gonna be sorry you didn't (laughs) be with me so okay just to counter that point real quick i think that they try to do that arc but it's literally like, let me sleep with Gina Gershon and then uh, play basketball with uh, Coughlin. And he's like, $50 says she's in with another man by the end of the week. And right. And then they make the bet. Coughlin fucks up his relationship. Although, according to Gina Gershon, he fucked it up by talking about the relationship, which is a whole nother thing. You and I were... Like really going deep over like while we were watching the movie because we just didn't get it right. But okay, so that I think was like him losing his innocence, quote unquote. Oh, I don't mean losing his innocence by learning more about the world. I mean, sorry, I mean his an arc of him doing bad stuff. Oh, right, right after right, that, right, right, when right. he starts kind of being becoming a shitty person. Like, no, in fact, to your point. They show that he's still kind of a good dude because he like leaves the bar to go help somebody who's like overdosed on champagne of all fucking things. And like, and then like, yeah, okay, he's still somewhat of a good person, maybe a little cocky, maybe a little arrogant, but still probably good at heart. And then, yeah, like all it takes is Coughlin reentering his life for him to, you know, do transgressions and there's absolutely no redemption arc. Like, I think they want you to feel sympathy for him with Bonnie, and then you just don't. Yeah, that's, I think you put it perfectly. It's like, you know, if you, they had him doing shitty stuff in this movie, you know, that that could have been a good character story if then he had to come to grips with the fact that he was doing shitty stuff. But I don't think he ever really did. I think he, he 
felt somewhat bad, but not really, because he was still a jerk to Jordan when he went to her apartment to when he went to her parents' apartment. Yeah. He never really realized like, no, but, oh, I'm a shitty person. But, he just he just kind of got everything that he wanted. And that storyline... Did he, though? Because he can't make it with his best friend's old lady. Oh, yeah. Just remember that. Well, the sacrifice he made. Oh, right. Yeah, and that's... I mean, that's in the whole... I know you already got into some of it with the Gina Gershon character, Coral, but that, you know, is possibly one of my other shots is just talking about how he gets with four different women in the story in this like weird disjointed way. <laughs> um, but yeah, that's a whole other discussion. So, yeah, well, I mean, let's be real. 80s cruise, kind of a cutie. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I'm not, I'm not specifically talking about his ability in that it surprises me. My man could pull. I'm not I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about the way that like each relationship is portrayed as super strange. <laughs> and that's something you and I talked about uh when we were watching. All right, okay. Well, totally agree, but let's uh let's talk about the other big character in this movie that they try to have some statement about uh because this was the 80s, so you can't have characters like Elizabeth Shue getting any time to shine. She's just a plot device. Mm -hmm. They do, however, invest some time uh, with Coughlin. Mm -hmm. uh, so here's some great quotes that I wrote down. All right, ready? Beer is for breakfast around here. Drink, oh, be gone. Yeah. <laughs> Amazing line. And oh, he gets all the best lines in this movie because he fancies himself this like philosopher poet Philosopher, writer frat boy yeah writing type you know like the kind that Cruz wants to emulate more on that in a second um i think it's best summed up with the line the bartender is the aristocrat of the working class i think <laughs> somebody wrote that on a napkin and then like threw it at a fucking touchstone executive <laughs> and they were like make this movie <laughs> what, i think you're right that's what happened right uh my favorite my personal favorite line is near the end of the film where he goes um Proctologist dream in here. What? Wall-to-wall -wall asshole. <laughs> <laughs> like, that's kind of funny. Come on. Like, if the movie was just that, of him being, like, a smartass uh, the whole time, rather than, like, um, you know, I don't know. I feel like this movie works better if you try to make him, like, a hilarious second lead, like a Will Ferrell type, like, in a comedy. Like, Will Ferrell, old school. Just bits, just jokes, just funny that would have been great. Instead, they try to make him like Gene Hackman in fucking <laughs> The Firm, right? Like they try to make him this like really complicated character and it just does not hit at all. Mm -hmm. And you don't really feel that bad at the end uh, when he dies because he, um, I think it's because the movie tries to say that it's a message about like how getting what you want doesn't always lead to happiness or material wealth does not always lead to happiness and et cetera, et cetera. Like he marries uh, his wife for her money to help set up his dream bar, but then he's not happy because he's not in control and his wife's kind of, uh, uh, you know, just sleeping around. It seems like it's implied that she is anyway. And that's, I think what the movie's going for doesn't work on any, mm -hmm. uh, in any of those respects. And so at the end, when he dies, you're just kind of like, man, that's a really nice bottle of freaking cognac or whatever that he wasted uh and it's a it's a damn shame especially when like they try to almost like play off his uh death as like um uh like a tragic like passing and then 
he's writing letters to Cruz and Cruz reads his letter and he's still being a smart ass. Like, are you kidding? Like I, the tone is goes back to that, like completely asynchronous tone that you just cannot fucking vibe with. If you like movies that are consistent and have something to say, right? This movie doesn't have anything to say. And as a result, like I said, at the beginning, you just have to take everything at face value. But when the face value has aged terribly and is not that interesting, you're like, oh, geez, a waste of an hour and 40 minutes. Um, you know what's interesting, and I think that I caught this this rewatch as opposed to the other times we've seen this, Coughlin is uh, kind of like a general to Cruz, you know? Cruz just got, gets out of the military and needs like that sort of like regimented like uh, lifestyle of like getting up, go to school, go to jo- go to a job, work on dream, right? Mm-hmm. Maybe, you know, I guess he can't, but he tries a few times to, you know, snuggle in a relationship in there, but he can't. It doesn't vibe with the with the regiment that he's got going. Um, and I thought of an interesting line that was like, it's played for a laugh, but I, I think it kind of uh, adds some weight to this analogy is when they are um, bartending together, it's during the addicted to love scene, you know, <laughs> when like Cruz, for those of you guys who haven't seen, is like bartending, Robert Palmer's addicted to love is playing and he's like turning down the the stereo so that he can the whole bar can sing the chorus a little bit it's a cool scene it's like one of the few scenes that works because Cruz is just being you know hella charming um but Coughlin is like noticing the Cruz is like you know eyeing one of the patrons of the bar who's definitely checking him out too and uh Coughlin goes stay in formation her old man is coming right in behind her <laughs> and like stay in formation is like such a like it just such invokes such a military kind of thing. And in the way that he like gives him commands and orders and he's just like young Flanagan come here like he's like a pirate captain almost, you know. Yeah, that's such a great point. It's like he's he's giving him this regimented lifestyle or showing him how to do this. But it's ironic because the lifestyle is actually destructive and not like um a very you know put, pick yourself up kind of life it's more like as we see in the movie tries to get at a destructive kind of lifestyle it's it's like yeah it's like Cruz was like a, a, a fucking british sailor in the 17th century who gets conscripted to become a pirate and then he's like <laughs> oh yeah no this is way better like <laughs> you know and i would watch that movie 50 times out of 100 uh, mm-hmm. and the other 50 times i would watch uh, you know, Mission Impossible again, and then never watch Cocktail again. I I don't know. I think this is a great movie to watch at least like once, once, maybe twice every week. <laughs> oh, God, this is a tired <laughs> bit by now. <laughs> um, don't worry, I'll watch it tonight. Uh, later, I fucking if you bet. go to bed. No. Um. <laughs> <laughs> so, what's um, your final shot? So, my final shot is what we have all. By all, I mean the two of us, been discussing already and alluding to, and that is um, poor Elizabeth Shue and her role in this movie. Hey, if the shoe fits. <laughs> um, so she plays a character named Jordan Mooney, and this character, you know, she's a really good actress, so you've got, you know, she's kind of an interesting love interest for Tom Cruise's character, but then uh, Brian does her dirty because he wants to do this bet, I guess. And then he tries to explain that to her rather than just apologizing. And he's like, if a guy lays down a dare, (laughs) you gotta take it. 
Yeah, it's so dumb. And then she's like, oh, guess what? I'm pregnant. And then it just evolves from there. Um, he continues to be an asshole and he stalks her parents' apartment and there's all those weird fight sequences. And and then, and then Jordan ends up going with him and being like, daddy, I'm sorry, but I love him. And then at the very end, she's making jokes about herself getting fat. And it's just really degrading for all of womankind. And, <laughs> and I just, it's too bad. And then the rest of this movie, there are three other like, um, I guess, kind of side female characters that Brian engages with. Um, there's the first girl, Bonnie, who I always forget about. Even when you were talking about it. I was Coral, like, not Bonnie. Oh, Coral. Yeah. I always forget about. And even when you just brought her up, we just saw the movie yesterday, but I forgot that she was in the movie again because this movie is so spread out and fragmented that you forget there's like all these different chunks of things that happen. But yeah, at the beginning, Tom Cruise is with her. That relationship doesn't really make sense. Which, um, okay. Real quick, just quick sidebar. Um, Gina Gershon, great actress. Mm -hmm. I think she's awesome in literally anything but this. I mean, she was she's amazing in uh, Showgirls, Bound, Face Off. She has an incredible run in the '90s, right? Um, she's in that show uh, Riverdale, <laughs> and she's good in that. Um, I think she was in another show, right? Like, I think it's called Rescue Me, that show with Dennis Leary that was on FX for a long time. Mm -hmm. uh, never saw it, but I, I, I heard it was decent. Um, point being, like, she's so underutilized as just this, like, quick and easy, like, reporter from, uh, you know, that Cruz just goes in and out, like, mm -hmm. literally and figuratively, I suppose. Uh, and, and is, like, her motivation for... Uh, Dumping Cruz, getting with Coughlin uh, just to spite Cruz. It makes no sense. Yeah, it really doesn't make any sense. And It's the most infuriating relationship <laughs> in the movie, in yeah. my opinion. Even more so than true. Yeah, so you get that, then you get... Um, Do you think they just wanted to like like have that in? Just like, we need a way to get him to Jamaica. Yeah, we needed him to get mad at Doug Coughlin for some reason. Yeah. And that was because Doug slept with her or presumably slept with her. Um, you're right, though. I mean, she's a good actress. And in this movie, just like the other <laughs> actresses, she's just, her character sucks. And then we get to um, we get to when Brian cheats on Jordan. So soap opery. I know uh, right? with Bonnie, the older women woman who's successful businesswoman, and that whole plot is stupid too because it's like, you know, it, it's in the movie. She, it's used to show like, oh, you should feel bad for Brian because he has had to stoop to the level of being with a successful businesswoman, <laughs> and you know, the character herself of Bonnie, you know, treats him kind of badly like a dog or something so she herself as a character is not great either but i think the premise of you know saying that you know successful women business women suck or whatever whatever this movie's trying to say <laughs> all the female Probably characters nothing. suck yeah. yeah and so i just every time i watch it they all make me laugh because these poor women actresses had you to didn't play even get these to, parts. to pocahontas you didn't even get to uh coughlin's wife 
Oh, yeah. Yeah, because then also, see, I forgot about that, too. It's hard to keep track of all of these people. Um, yeah, so Coughlin marries this Kelly, rich right? lady. Yeah, Kelly Lynch plays her. She plays a character named Carrie. And That's not confusing. <laughs> um, then she hits on Brian, and it's this whole thing. Um, he says, I can't make it. <laughs> My best friend's old lady. Even yeah. though he followed her to her apartment. He's got morals, in, apparently. Yeah. He's got makes a real out with her. hard line. <laughs> um, <laughs> like, but I can't make it. Yeah. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Yeah. So those are very, comp- the whole portrayal of w- all those char- women okay, characters. Okay, here's a theory. Okay. Sorry to get off track, but I just, I just thought of this. So do you think he's crying at the end when he's reading Coughlin's letter? Um, his suicide note, because not because he, um, you know, misses him, but because he feels bad that he literally says to Carrie, I should go back and check on Doug. And then she's like, no, walk me to my apartment. Yeah, I think he feels bad about that for sure. Okay. Yeah. He, I mean. Did the movie he, make that clear whatsoever, though? I think so. They. They were trying again and again to have him show, like they tried a little bit to make him seem like he felt bad for a second about how he treated Jordan, but then they flipped that around by having him treat her shitty again. Same thing with Doug's death. They show him trying, kind of feeling bad and guilty, but then they flip that around by having him quickly get over that and then just having a party at his new tavern. You know, it's like... None of that yeah. stuff really affects him, I guess. Yeah, within a 20 to 48 hour period, he goes from like a funeral to mourning to uh, a shotgun wedding at Uncle Pat's bar. Yeah. To a, uh, yeah, like a another poetry slam, for fuck's sake. This movie has about three too many poetry slams mm-hmm. uh, for our liking. Yeah, and to answer your question, maybe the movie doesn't make it super clear that he feels bad or that's why he's crying, but I think the, the first, audience knows. Like, See, I didn't, though. Like, the first few times I saw it, I was like, oh, he's just crying because he's like, uh, my friend's dead. Mm-hmm. You know, my captain. Oh, captain, my captain. He's role model is now dead, right? And to me... That, I think, actually makes more sense than the him being remorseful at all because he's demonstrated that he cares more about, you know, all this other stuff than being remorseful. Like, And again, it goes to maybe that's what they were, the filmmakers were trying to set out to do and show that he's having a character arc and a character turn of finally, like, no longer being like, you have to look out for numero uno like Uncle Pat suggests and maybe finally starting to, like, have some of that remorse that you would need as, like, you know, a decent person. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that that's not clear at all. It's really not clear when you think about it, looking at it back from today, like why in the hell do you follow your friend's wife in there, make out with her, and then all of a sudden grow the conscience like afterwards? It just doesn't make sense. It doesn't vibe with that sort of character. Maybe it did back then. Certainly doesn't today. And it just comes across as like really shallow, really dumb, and... You know, if he feels guilty, that would make a lot of sense. Movie sure as hell doesn't. Yeah, then he goes to his uh, future pregnant wife or pregnant future wife and tells her, you better not get too fat. (laughs) He's really grown. He's really he's really grown a lot as a man. And even if they're like meaning that as a joke, 
it's like goes on for like five beats too long. You yeah. know what I mean? Like make one joke about that. Maybe uh, it's the 80s. It's of its time. Doesn't necessarily have. It's one of those things we could look past if this movie were any good. It doesn't though. It really fucking sucks. And it, they, they make a joke after joke about it. Yeah. And, and it's he's definitely like, not a joke. I hope we don't have a female daughter. <laughs> like, yeah, like, oh yeah. Yeah. Like <laughs> then the shit will really hit yeah. the fans. Like, oh yeah. Women suck apparently. Yeah. Which, well, if we didn't get the message of this movie, apparently it's women suck. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Um, yeah, so what is your last shot? My third and final shot just has to do with, um, I'm just going to fucking go in on this movie. You ready? Uh, so this movie is, uh, fucking bad, but here's why it's bad. Like, <laughs> not just because like of all the things we've talked about and all the things that have aged poorly and all the things that make no sense, but it's just by sheer logic, like a movie that is good and confident in its writing and it's like presentation to the audience. Um, you can suspend disbelief a lot because you know, you're watching a film, right? It's like that common phrase. It's just a movie, you mm -hmm. know, I get that, but a really good movie should have a, like a, a sense, a finger on the pulse of how much it's asking the audience to trust it and how much it's asking the audience to like, basically be like, eh, I don't know, just, <laughs> like mm -hmm. just be like like if a movie is asking the audience to constantly just be like eh shoulder shrug i don't give a fuck just enjoy the movie with tom cruise i don't know why you know the movie is <laughs> like a, a fucking new yorker but i guess if it's set in new york it is uh so <laughs> that's that is what it's asking us to do i think yeah just just fucking enjoy the movie yeah 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 all right <laughs> so <laughs> the point being in that is that like i i just i cannot get over the hard turn to soap opera enos like i think the reason a soap opera is like it is is because it's not un, it's not asking you for a lot i think the target you know audiences um for a soap opera or like the target mood that you're in you can totally like movies and like soap operas and teen soaps whatever right totally fine to like it i've enjoyed a fair share myself but i know what i'm watching when i do that when I watch that in a big budget movie with movie stars, it's so freaking hard to like, like have that in, in my mind. Like mm -hmm. maybe if they were, if a movie star is like on a soap before they become big and they're just like trying to do it. I mean, there's a reason that people don't continue to do that. It's not as fulfilling. It's not as artistically challenging and pushing the medium forward. It's just like entertainment for entertainment's sake. Goes back to that. Uh, you just got to take it at face value, right? Mm -hmm. Super incongruous with the guy at the top of his game, like Cruz, uh, Shu, who's also blowing up. She was just in Karate Kid, and a premise that's like actually somewhat interesting on it, on its face, and then just doesn't execute because of the soap opera shit. Like, here's what kind of soap opera shit I'm talking about, okay? And it's mostly in the second half of this movie. So, it all starts with him moving back to New York with Bonnie right? Which the whole Bonnie thing is based on, the, is predicated on when a guy gives you a dare, you gotta take it. She <laughs> is a real quote that he tells Shu. Okay. Here's some questions I have. Why? They're all whys. Why questions? Why does Bonnie not work out in another room? You notice that when she is working out, she's in a big, big apartment in Manhattan. She's obviously very successful. She wears pea coats like big giant freaking 
killing walrus style freaking fur coats everywhere right and she's very wealthy definitely has another room in that apartment where she can work out but she has to work out in the bedroom where cruz is sleeping are you shitting me <laughs> come on right all right fine I'll, I'll suspend some disbelief here's another one when she takes cruz and this is the arc of the movie that you alluded to where she uh has to where you have to kind of feel a little bad for Cruz because, oh, he had to give up his dream. He sold out to be a pet, right? Which like, okay, come on, dude, whatever. I don't feel bad for you. But let's say I, I you know, for argument's sake, feel bad for him a little bit. Uh, why does the sculptor that she introduces him, uh, because they go to a an art gala in New York City and the sculptor is talking with Bonnie. They apparently know each other. Cruz is getting drunk. He goes up and he just says, hey, let's get out of here. Um, you know, which I guess is kind of rude. But if you're a sculptor putting on an event or any artist putting on an event in a public setting, wouldn't you think to like hire a security person there to handle something exactly like that? This guy takes it upon himself, shoves Cruz and thinks, I'm the artist, so nobody can touch me. Like, what the <laughs> hell do you think is going to happen when you shove somebody, whether they are drunk or not? This makes no sense. The guy, I almost felt good when the guy got his, the shit kicked out of him by Cruz and then had his art installation fall. Albeit, I felt good for the wrong reasons. But it all comes down to, why make that choice? Why not just, like, have a security guard do it? Or something else. And then the, the art exhibit inadvertently falls. Then you understand that Cruz is being belligerent. I think, and the answer is even more soap opera-y. I think that we're made to believe that that artist had a crush on Bonnie. And he was jealous of him, her being with Cruz. And Cruz kind of picked up on that and said something kind of snarky to the artist. The artist is emotional and retaliates and pushes him. All... Very soap opery. I think that would that'd be the only way that makes sense. Yeah. Which really sucks. Um, okay, here's another one. So right after that scene, Cruz goes to try and reconcile with Elizabeth Shue at a diner that she works at. <laughs> and uh, Cruz is like waiting to make his move to like reveal himself to her. And she's waitressing, which is an incredibly hard job, especially in a busy diner. Um, here's what I don't understand, though. Uh, we, we understand it's a tough job. Most people, I think, do. Anyone who's worked in food service will tell you. However, there's a couple there sitting right by Cruz trying to get Elizabeth Shue's waitress attention. And they say, ma'am, we have theater tickets, <laughs> which is the most infuriating line I think I've seen in a movie in years. Because why the hell are you going to a sit-down restaurant in New York City right before theater tickets? And why is that anyone's problem but your own? Like, go to a fucking McDonald's. Those people are entitled. Exactly. And that is a huge issue that I have because there's, like, I think if they were entitled, then the next thing that happens, which is the next question I have, would have probably been more alarming. Why aren't they alarmed when Elizabeth <laughs> Shue comes out and fucking dumps two like Wednesday night specials on Cruz's face. They're just like kind of staring, almost yeah. laughing, like kind of giggling. Like they're like, Oh, that's funny. That's funny. <laughs> <laughs> like makes no sense. I think yeah. if they were as entitled as they were made out to be, 
you know. They would be like, what is the matter here? Okay, now I realize a lot of these sound like nitpicks. But when you add them all up and then you combine them with all the things that we've talked about, the second half of this movie is a slog. Mm -hmm. You, like yourself, were like, what? This movie's only an hour and 40 minutes? I swear, every time we've watched it, it's three and a half fucking hours. (laughs) Yeah. Because it's so tough to get through. No, I think you picked out some of the best examples of just how soap opery this movie is. Yeah. I mean, Cruz literally throws away two relationships for $50. (laughs) yep just saying all right so i'm gonna come down off my soapbox and have another sip of my red eye more like pink eye at this point um and uh let's get into the ending of this film uh the true ending not the climactic scene uh where a pregnant woman gets shoved multiple times the scene after that and after that, actually, two scenes later, in our last segment, appropriately titled, Last Call. All right. So last call, we talk about the endings of films, why, you know, sometimes things mercifully end. <laughs> and uh, why directors decide to go with certain ways to end the film. And you kind of hinted at this already, but let's dive deep into the final scene of this movie. So we get a poetry slam. Um, it's it's a time skip, right? Uh, Cruz and Shu get married. They make fat jokes. Then, after an undetermined amount of time, but less than nine months because Shu is still pregnant, uh, they are running a bar. How they managed to get a fully packed bar within that nine-month span in New York City. Wait, isn't this the night of their wedding? Because isn't Shu wearing a wedding dress? Or is this after that? This is after that because they've opened Flanagan's, a new bar. Oh, okay. I put In my mind, I just put those two scenes together. The wedding takes place at Pat's bar, Uncle Pat's bar. With all of the, you know, the characters we cared so much about, like <laughs> Pat's regular that often, you know, gets in funny banter with him or Eddie. the waitress. Yeah, Eddie or the waitress <laughs> that like flirted with Cruz and said like, and he called her a bitch and she was like, yeah, I am a bitch. Like, yeah. Oh, all those fan favorites. right? <laughs> they come back. Okay. So then we go to Flanagan's bar, the new bar that Cruz has opened up and he is the owner yet also still bartender. And inside it says cocktails and dreams, right? As a tribute to Doug, he has put up a neon sign that says cocktails and <laughs> Which dreams. Which is another funny part we didn't talk about that how they had a made a paper that said cocktails and dreams oh with God. a stick figure on yeah, it to the, symbolize their dream. Yeah. The, the, the cut, the hard cut from him like reading the suicide note to which is supposed to be sad it's supposed to be sad but the hard cut of like such a somber note to such a terribly made drawing i don't know how the editor didn't think like oh yeah that really fucks with the tone here but alas that is the this you know the sad it's like a story three-year-old of this movie. drew a stick figure yeah it's not endearing yeah. it's hilarious and not in a good way so yeah that's the story of this movie editor didn't care about the tone so, like I was saying, um, Flanagan's bar interior night, right? We've got him making drinks for people. He's got a huge following, apparently, whether it's opening night or not, I don't know. But everybody there seems to like know the drill because somebody suggests, hey, 
Brian, we want a poem. No. And then everybody starts chanting, poem, poem. Okay. Oh. So for those of you guys who've never seen this movie, poetry is like one of the devices. And I guess like it's a theme of the movie, right? Because Coughlin views himself as like a philosopher poet, always speaking in these like, you know, poetic aphorisms of like Coughlin's law and like making up these rules that nobody follows actually except him. Uh, so he thinks he's a poet and Brian apparently like is in the wrong line of work because he's making up like poems on the spot, which, you know, they're not great, but they're not terrible either. Like I'd say that they're very thematically appropriate. Uh, although <laughs> all, in my opinion, a little Dr. Susie and he fucking starts making up a poem. The poetry topics in this movie, they include, um, capitalism uh lists of cocktails uh, <laughs> advice to unborn children like and that's what this last one is he's gonna he's like this poem is entitled flanagan's advice to his unborn child or something like that which is really dumb but everybody's like oh okay that's so sweet so he starts to you know talk about his unborn child and he you know even like we said alludes to having a daughter equates shit hitting the fan which is probably meant as like a joke being like, oh, I'm going to be an overprotective dad or something like that. But the way it's delivered is just not great. Um, then uh, he finishes the poem, rapturous applause. Elizabeth Shue is like, I bet I can still scare you. It's like, why would you want to do that? But whatever. <laughs> it's like you haven't been through enough uncertainty with this fucker in your relationship. Whatever. Uh, I bet I can still scare you. Grabs him, whispers into his ear. And then Cruz doing that movie trope of like, repeating out loud very loudly the thing somebody whispered to you in confidence <laughs> is like twins twins and starts like you know shouting twins and everybody in the bar is like yeah all right somebody no one wants to be a father <laughs> and then Cruz says drinks for everybody much to the chagrin of uncle pat who's like no you can't be a cheap <laughs> bastard that way oh i forgot about that Cruz grins fit cut to black and credits yeah that just, is the ending of cocktail. The ending of cocktail basically is um, makes me feel bad for the children that are going to be born. <laughs> like I'm sorry that you have those parents. Yeah. Um. Agreed. And that's really all I have to say about that. <laughs> um, yeah, I think that they're trying to show a happy ending is like with enough hard work you can follow your dreams even in this crushing capitalist society. Um, although the ironic part is that, you know, he's now uh, a contributing member of that society, but whatever. Um, his crew says that basically to Elizabeth Shue. I'm not just making that up. Like he says, you know, with enough hard work, I know I can do it. It's part of his pitch. His yeah, with the loan and enough hard work. Yeah, it's part of his soap opera-esque pitch to try and win her back and like have her run away with him rather than oh, I don't know, get support from a wealthy dad that, in my opinion, is definitely correctly upset that this guy who impregnated, then abandoned, or, like, cheated on his daughter is, like, trying to get back into his life. It, it, it's it's so all over the place. Um, I hate to sound like a broken record, but so tonally out of sync that you're just like, oh, okay. Well, of course, Elizabeth Shute would do that because he's dumb. 
You know, you can chalk this up to people are young and dumb and just make poor decisions. All right. Yeah, her character Jordan Mooney, not Elizabeth Shue. Exactly. Yeah, Jordan <laughs> Mooney, Elizabeth Shue, huge fan. Uh, go watch Cobra Kai if you haven't uh, newest season. Spoilers. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, I think that the directors and the writers just wanted to give it a happy ending because the tone was getting extremely dark and morose there for a minute, uh, bordering on teen drama, a little too hard. And then they were like, "Oh yeah, that's right, we made an '80s comedy." Sorry. And boy, boy, did they. So that's how Cocktail ends. And uh, I think that's how we should end uh, our discussion of this classic film about bars and about amateur bartenders that become professional bartenders, (laughs) which speaks dear to our heart, but not our cinematic um, taste. Yeah. Um, So everybody go out. And if you haven't, watch my favorite movie, 1980. Yeah. Oh, God. Uh, So, what are we doing next week? Next week, we are going to be watching the film Lost in Translation, which features Suntory whiskey, Japanese whiskey, that is uh, very, very distinct, known the world over, and in my opinion, tastes great. (laughs) And the film is actually relatively famous, had some Oscar buzz in 0203, stars Bill Murray, Scarlett Johansson. I've never seen it. Me either. Pretty excited to uh, watch for the first time, and we may or may not be joined by some special guests. So keep an eye out for that. If you want to know the latest about, you know, what we're doing, what we're drinking, follow us on social media, as I alluded to earlier, at MomixPod, at M-O-M-I-X, on social medias like Facebook and Instagram. Uh, Or you can just write us a good old-fashioned email, like if you're a bartender and you love this movie because it's accurate I'm just kidding. <laughs> but if you love this movie for some reason and just want to talk about it a little bit, we love talking about it, even if we don't love the movie. Um, so at uh, momixpod at gmail.com is the email address for that. So that's it. Thank you, everyone, for listening. And we'll see you next time. Yep. Coughlin's Law, number 69. Don't watch Cocktail again. <laughs> Thank you.